What's going on guys, it's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan, coming back at you once again with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Thanks for tuning in guys, if you missed last week's episode you can still go catch that on demand, the way to do it is very simple, head over to Spreaker, head over to lordsofpain.net and you can catch my last episode of SCID on demand, you can also do it through your usual podcast provider as well. Please also make sure you check out all the other great shows here on Lords of Pain Radio. We have stuff coming to you each and every single day of the week, covering everything from New Japan Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor, TNA, Indie Circuits, British Wrestling, you name it, we've got coverage for it. So do make sure you check out all the wonderful shows. You can do so by subscribing. Don't subscribe to Lords of Pain Radio, but do subscribe to each of our shows by their individual name, and that way you can make sure you don't miss a second of the great coverage we've got for you here on Lords of Pain Radio. It is another week in my ongoing project for Sports Entertainment is Dead Year 2. If, of course, you're unfamiliar with it, and this is the first time you're tuning in, I take a guest host every single week and we explore a match chosen quite at random, historically either by myself or said guest, to explore the themes, the creative merits, the character, the narrative, its historical importance, anything that we think is worth commenting on. It's all inspired by my book, 101 WW Matches to See Before You Die, which you can still go ahead and buy on Amazon anywhere in the world. And, of course, it's also the inspiration behind my second incoming book, which will be a direct sequel to 101, but will be focused specifically on the new generation era. Both of these books explore many of the benefits that come with watching your professional wrestling as performance art rather than as sports entertainment, which, as the title of my show implies, is, in my belief, dead. That's what these match explorations aim to do as well. And this week, we have another he was with me last week and he is of course back again this week to help me break down a match of his choosing last week's was was my suggestion this week's was his uh, and i have to say he's picked a fine match to be talking about for reasons we'll get into in just a few moments i'd like to welcome back once again he is the author of not one but two books about the wrestlemania era and you can buy them both on amazon it's chad the doc matthews thanks for having me back i'm excited to talk about this match. This is a favorite of both of ours, I believe. This is, of course, for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship at Money in the Bank 2016 as Roman Reigns defends against the greatest wrestler of all time, Seth Rollins. And uh, (laughs) he, um, of course, just came back from... Well, first of all, let's set the stage here a little bit. Roman Reigns, uh, of course, had been uh, pushed heavy coming out of the gates of the Shield split, obviously famously to the chagrin of of the wrestling fan base at large. They tried a few uh, attempts with him, and they'd all been sort of false starts. Seth Rollins had made a huge name for himself as the poster boy of the authority, had had, uh, in my mind still, a blistering run as champion in 2015, very sadly got injured on a house show, giving way to Roman Reigns' ascent to the top spot in the company where he would become world champion, he would defeat Triple H in a in a much maligned WrestleMania main event at WrestleMania 32. Seth eventually makes his way back, and so we get... This, uh, a title match between the two, Seth's first match back after months of layoff, and you're going to have to put up with a lot of me gushing about how great a performance is for someone who's just come back from months of not wrestling. Um, 
And, uh, of course, the first time as well, I do believe, that the two of them had met one-on-one, certainly in any kind of big match situation, since the split of the Shield. And I think that that plays a very active part in the subtext of the match in a lot of ways that we're going to get into uh, as we go along here. Doc, the theme of the of last week and of this week has been, uh, very loosely, uh, WrestleMania main events uh, that we haven't had or that never were. Curiously, they promote this match explicitly at the time as WrestleMania main event worthy or worthy of the main event at WrestleMania. They wear that on its sleeve. They are very open about it uh, and they and they heavily push that idea. Uh, and yet here we are four years later. And although granted we're recording this in December, so who knows what main event we're in store for in, in a few weeks at WrestleMania. But it seems like four years later, there's still no real interest in staging it at WrestleMania. And for reasons that, 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 well, I mean, that escape me, <laughs> but that also, I think, for reasons that have shaped you and I's current WWE enthusiasm or lack thereof. Mm. Uh, I don't know why it hasn't main evented WrestleMania yet, because quite frankly, these are the top two guys in the promotion for the last five years. Uh, and the fact that that doesn't get you to the main event spot at WrestleMania for an epic showdown of the caliber that they put together at Money in the Bank is beyond me. But I digress. This match is amazing. I will beat the drum for it any day of the week. You look at that video package that mm. they put together to hype this thing up. I mean, we talk about great video packages it's not one of the best of all time. It doesn't have that soundtrack to it like the one at WrestleMania 30 for Daniel Bryan did or the one at WrestleMania 17 for Rock Austin. But, you know, I think if you put a, a memorable musical track on this sucker, then this is one of the best they've ever done. It perfectly sets the stage for the match. It feels like a WrestleMania main event. How perfect was the situation leading up to this? You recapped it well, but I will say... One of the unique things about it was in this day and age where if something looks like it's interesting and hot, then we have to get to it immediately. Like by the end of the next month, a series of circumstances had prevented these two from ever actually having a one-on-one -on -one match for two years. I mean, this happened in, this happened in, uh, let's see, this was in June of 2016, correct? Yes. So we're talking about literally two years and two or three weeks post Seth Rollins turning on the shield. And these guys had never faced each other one-on-one, -on -one, despite everything that the two of them accomplished within that time frame. It could not have set up more perfectly for them to have an epic showdown. Uh, I wish I, I, I am. I know you and I have at times differed on this stance of, of, of WrestleMania and what it means and all that jazz. But I, I genuinely believe that if you take this exact same match everything about it including the dean ambrose cash in after it is over and you put it on the wrestlemania stage then there is absolutely no doubt in my mind it goes down in history as one of the greatest matches of all time instead of sitting not just on the periphery historically amongst po folks like you and i because of reasons but it's <laughs> this is a match that just just not that you talk about last week we talked about angle and undertaker not getting its proper respect 
this match is criminally disrespected. It was well, disrespected on the night. It's been disrespected in hindsight. It's disrespected every time <laughs> you and I bring it up on social media. It was my match of the year in 2016, to which I got a lot of responses like, what? You know, I don't, I don't get it, man. Like, this is a brilliant presentation. Seth Rollins was amazing that night. Roman Reigns has never been better than he was that night. And I just, you know, I, 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 let me take a step down from my soapbox for a moment and get back <laughs> into more analytical mode because I had to get that out there. I just don't understand Samuel Plan. I, uh, all right, Macho Man. Um, I uh, <laughs> a bit of a Randy Savage moment at the end. Have a little freak out, freak out. Um, it, I didn't realize you felt so, quite so volcanically about it. Um, the yeah, I mean, I remember actually in 2016, and I think you were on this podcast. We did one of the LOP Radio All Star uh shows like halfway through the year talking about you know best match so far and and all this stuff uh, and we were talking about the best wrestler at the time of the year so far um and bearing in mind Seth had been back for like two or three weeks we did we did that <laughs> show after this uh after this pay-per-view um he'd only been back two or three weeks he'd wrestled one match uh, and I championed his name of course as, as the best wrestler of 2016 and it was tongue in cheek but it was kind of only <laughs> half tongue in cheek because you're talking about a guy who had wrestled one match all year after months of not wrestling at all and it was the best match of the year you know like come on how can you not contest that um, so I'm right there with you with uh, with love for it. Uh, I think I, for my match of that year, I think I, I did name the Shield Triple Threat. To the WrestleMania point, I would say where we diverge on that isn't necessarily on the matter of perception as it is on the matter of meaning. I don't uh, necessarily buy into the notion that it means more if it happens at WrestleMania, but I do accept it is uh, often perceived as meaning more, um, or at least perhaps just perceived more, Uh if it were to happen on a, on a bigger show with more eyes watching, that just stands to reason. I think you're bang to rights about saying that if this exact match, minute for minute, as it happened, happened on a WrestleMania stage, it would be talked about more, and people would perhaps feel a little bit more generous and charitable uh, towards it. I think you also mentioned very briefly in passing there, Doc, um, the idea of his rushing into everything these days. I agree with that in general terms. There is a careful balance to be struck. For example, a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about the Shield triple threat that, of course, happened just a month later, uh, I was talking with Sir Sam about that, um, and and I mentioned that I think too often um, WWE also have a habit of hanging back on something for a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam when really they'd been better off just going with it when it's hot, you know, for example, one famous recent example that involves Seth Rollins, in fact, is the way that the Triple H feud started to struggle because they started it so far out from where they wanted to actually conclude it. And instead of just going full pelt for it, when they realized they had to trigger it, they kind of tried to play both camps and it sort of didn't really work. And then it kind of all came together at the end. I think that this is a, a great example of going with something uh, at perfectly the right time. I think it would have been foolish to, with Roman having the championship, and I know you weren't saying that they should have done this. Um, it would have been, but nonetheless, it would have been foolish for them to not do it, Seth coming back from injury, Roman with the title, uh, particularly given the nature of their history with each other and the nature of why Seth had to drop the title in the first place. Um, but it's such a, a, 
a great example of something that I again talked about with Sam when we were talking about Dean Ambrose and Seth in particular a couple of weeks ago, um, which is this idea of of uh, the coincidence of circumstance or depending on your belief system, the fate of circumstance, which is where you get what might otherwise be ideas that we impose on wrestling happening quite naturally just through the course of history. The example I gave a couple of weeks ago was the fact that Seth and Dean were the first two picks in the second ever brand extension. Now, Mm -hmm. of course, we know that that's predetermined, but it's predetermined to be those two for a specific reason. It's because at the time, the two were two of the top three guys of the era. Here you have a situation where quite naturally you have arrived at the fate of circumstance. These two guys have all this history. They've never wrestled one-on-one. The world title's involved. Uh, that can only happen with certain coincidences like Seth's injury, but it can also only happen if it sort of just naturally fits and it does naturally fit. As you said, <clears throat> excuse me, as you said, these are the top two guys of their generation and much like the rock and Austin happening. And I'm not saying in terms of box office or anything that this is, that this is comparable, but certainly in terms of roster positioning it is, um, it's been arrived at naturally and it reinforces the fact, you know, this match is what it is because these are the top two guys in the company and these are the top two guys in the company because of what this match is. I mean, it's kind of a, a, a sort of a, it's a circular argument, it's a symbiotic thing, but it's something that I genuinely believe in and that makes it special. You know, that makes it, and it, it frustrated the hell out of me when they decided to run Reigns versus Rollins on a go-home Raw before a pay-per-view, uh, I think just a year later, roughly. It was, um, yep. And and mm-hmm. and worse yet, had Reigns beat Rollins despite the fact he'd never done it before. And it's like, why are you wasting that on a throwaway go home Raw? If you want to do it on Raw, fine, but at least build up to it. But preferably save it for a big occasion. And I think, I mean, I'm really starting to diverge here. One of the chronic issues with with the way WWE haven't committed to the recent generation is by blowing opportunities like that and not letting them have those big historic sort of generation defining stories and matches. But to bring it back to the to the match we've already talked a lot about sort of the circumstances around it and lord knows we could fill a half an hour just with that but there's the match itself and i want to make sure that we do we do talk uh, plenty about the content of it doc you were talking about the way that people were baffled by your decision to pick it as the best match of of that year why do you think that was I think, and this is what I wrote in in my in the greatest matches and rivalries when I included it. I snuck it into the top 100, knowing it was going to be one of my two most controversial picks. Um, not in terms of position, but in terms of just the mere fact that uh, there are a lot of people out there. I think the majority would would think it ludicrous for us to include it in that conversation. I think it's ludicrous not to. It's not wrestled in a popular style. We talked last week about Angle and Undertaker being refreshingly old school. This was also refreshingly old school, but it came about a month after an AJ Styles versus Roman Reigns match that was really more typical of what you have come to expect from a content-laden, near 30-minute match on WWE TV. Uh, not quite to the extent that some of the stuff we've seen in NXT in recent years with its very New Japan influence, but in terms of the WWE style, even at that point, the independent influence had really made its mark. John Cena matches, very content-heavy, full of near falls. We're at that point in 2016, we're 
about a year removed from the height of John Cena's weekly epics he was putting on in the United States Championship Open Challenge era, if you will. Um, you have here in Rollins versus Reigns a very character-heavy performance. You have a match here where you have to pay attention to the fact that when these guys started their match, all the dynamics in play that people had issues with from Roman Reigns and whether or not he should be positioned where he was to Seth Rollins and whether or not he should have come back as a baby face or, or if he should have stuck to his heel character and made a transition rather than just making a leap out of his old character and into something completely new. All those things were thrown out when they, when the bell rang everything. And, and, and I say that because I remember one of the primary criticisms people had was, well, well, Roman Reigns wrestles it totally out of character. I disagree with that. I think Roman Reigns wrestled it prop, perhaps better in character than at any other point in his whole damn career. Because well, can I just can we can I just jump in with that because that sort of feeds into I don't mean to cut you off, Doc, but I no I go wanna, for it. Um, explore that a second because one of the one of the big plus points to this match. That um, I, I'm sure if Prime was here, he'd probably he'd probably want to slap me for saying this, but um, there is a sensibility to the way that it's wrestled that reminds me of a trick Bret Hart used to pull off magnificently all the time, specifically and perhaps most obviously in his Royal Rumble match with Diesel that I love so much, um, which is. Exactly what you were sort of just saying. People saying he wrestles, Roman Reigns wrestles it out of character. He almost wrestles it like the the villain, like the heel. Um, yeah. The reason why that's not out of character is because of the history between these two. The fact that it's the first time Roman has finally, you know, after two years, <laughs> which is crazy when you think about it, mm-hmm. two years, finally gets his hands on this guy who, I mean, I remember the, the, the week that the, even the night that the Shield betrayal happened, Roman sent out a tweet of his back that was covered in, in bruises from the chair uh, saying, trust is dead to me. Uh, and finally, two years on, he finally gets his hands on this guy. And the aggression and the 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 sort of the the swagger and the the sense of hostility that comes from him that makes him watch a little bit to perhaps eyes that are less cognizant of the background of these two, like a villain, um, is actually just demonstrative of its two years of pent up aggression that he can finally let off on this guy who has been a thorn in it, who was a thorn in his side when he was at the head of the authority, even though the two never wrestled, uh, has watched him torment his other brother Dean relentlessly, destroyed the shield, betrayed him. You've got two years of pent up aggression all coming up, all rising a bit like your your rant at the start of this podcast, Doc. Um, all rising to the surface like a volcanic eruption, and that's why I mean perhaps you have a, a slightly different angle. I don't know, but that's why I would say it's completely in character because it feels like delayed retribution. I'm going to read you something that I wrote in my chapter about that that I think you'll appreciate. Okay. Um, I, th- this sort of a segue one into the other. Most sure. importantly, what we what we saw with this match was character potential realized. Reigns strikingly acted the part of the frustrated Samoan badass reveling at the chance not only to unleash two years of pent-up aggression toward his turncoat former brother-in-arms, 
but also to prove to Rollins that the guy was better than the man. Though the scripting of his persona was notoriously inconsistent in his early years as a headliner, on that night against Rollins, he took full ownership of his direction and let loose his natural attitude, viciously talking trash and exuding a supreme confidence that said via his body language, quote, there is no way that you can beat me, Seth. So I am I think I, I think that would would go to show I think that we're completely on the same page about oh, that yeah. because that it was that it, for it was the first time to me when the Roman Reigns character felt three dimensional where there was more to it than just, OK, they want to portray him as the good guy face of the company. He's not really that good at talking about the things that John Cena could pretty easily and charismatically convey his message with. Roman's not Cena, but they want him to kind of be like that. You know, this was the instance where Roman Reigns basically stood up and said, well, to hell with, you know, that presentation. This is a story I want to tell, and it's a story I'm going to tell the way I think this character would tell it. Now, in an, in another age, uh, perhaps a, a, a less, um, or I suppose more creative age, or, or an age more willing to invest in its contemporary talent, uh, you would like to imagine that they'd have had this match at a WrestleMania, for example, if the timings had worked out, or at a SummerSlam, perhaps, and then not interacted with each other for the better part of, of, of a year or even a couple of years, and then come together again at a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam and had a match rooted on the idea that Roman can't beat Seth. You've sort of you've mentioned that, and obviously a big deal is made out of the fact in the content of this that Roman's never beaten uh, uh, Seth Rollins, uh, which is kind of a curious thing, really, when you consider they'd never wrestled one-on-one, so of course he hasn't. But um, in fact, I may even be getting my stories mixed up. It's it's the question of whether he can or not um, here, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, yeah. And then later on, they would visit the idea that he can't beat uh, it was uh, death taxes and Rollins beats Reigns. I think was the phrase that they that they used, um, <laughs> which is a marvelous phrase. But there it is are. a great um, phrase, yes. And had all the makings of the background to a, a direct sequel to this match that they never decided to stage in any meaningful fashion. They may yet do it. One wonders whether it would be too late or not. But I think the the curious thing for me when I was going back and rewatching it, and this is going to sound like a criticism, but I think in actual fact it's demonstrative of how far the two have come today. Instead, because this is a marvelous match. I don't know if you if you felt a similar way. I think when you watch it back, as as, as confident and as self assured and as convincing as the performances are, there's something in the almost the the micro details of them, the movement, the body language, that kind of thing, that feels less polished and scrappier than the way that the two of them wrestle now. And I and like I say, it sounds like a criticism. It isn't because it just goes to, I think, reinforce this match as a historical article. What we could have if WWE did, or indeed as the time this podcast is, is going out, have decided uh, to do by staging it at a WrestleMania as a main event. Um, because you said it at the top of the show. You know, it's got the background. It's also got the sensibility of that kind of a match. This is a match that watches as two guys, not only who know they're the top two guys of their generation, but I dare say who feel like they've earned it and deserve to be seen as such. Sure, sure. And I think that, um, you know, if you look at the story that they told, there there is an element, an inescapable element, 
that you could make the argument, I think in previous generations, we would have seen a lot of this, a lot more chatter about this online um, in, in reviewing and revisiting this match as they held something back a little bit. And I think it was intentional, though, because the story around it is really Seth Rollins is coming back from, a, a, is, as I've popular, as I've, I've often liked to say, Seth Rollins was coming back from the knee injury that he suffered while carrying the WWE <laughs> on his back. I know the uh, truth. And so, you know, there is that element of it. And that's part of what, to me, makes it so great is they did not unleash everything that they could unleash. They did not unleash the the full arsenal of what I think perhaps more aesthetically pleasing stuff that they could produce because part of the story of the match is whether or not Seth Rollins can do what he did before. Mm. The, one of my favorite moments in the match, it's always the one I look forward to most, I can tell you that. Like once you get through that initial sequence in the early part of the match where Roman is being so aggressive and is clearly just, in lo- I mean, from a character standpoint, he's again, reveling in the fact that he gets this opportunity to to take down the guy who not only broke up the group, but stole from him his his torch-passing moment at WrestleMania 31 in the heist of the century, and has just been a thorn in his side ever since. He's got that opportunity, but as soon as you shift to that, and Seth Rollins starts coming back and working his way through, when he gets to that point, this is my favorite moment in that match when he gets to the point where he's going to go for the buckle bomb, uh-huh. but he's going to do it out of the same sunset flip that blew out his knee. There's that moment where it's, it's like, okay, he did it. It, it to me, it's almost, it's, it's somewhat reminiscent, obviously not on the same scale of Shawn Michaels and triple H at SummerSlam 2002. When you, you just have, Seth Rollins, like like Shawn Michaels did in that match, where he, he he sells the back injury so well, he sells it and he sells it and he sells it. And you remember that moment? You guys, you talked about it on I think the first episode of of this rebranded podcast earlier uh, in 2019 um, when he kips up, yeah, and he kips up and he like jumps up and down like I'm fine, I'm fine, everybody, I'm fine. And there's just sort of this elation to it. Seth Rollins gives us a little bit of that when he hits the buckle bomb and he's fine and he, and, and he, he hits it and he lands and he's okay. He eventually he's able to hit the buckle bomb. His knee's fine. He's not structurally impaired and they move seamlessly into the, the next phase of the match. But that's my favorite because it's just this story. And yes, it's not within the character of Seth Rollins, the heel who doesn't care about the fans. But again, we can't always look at this stuff in two dimensional terms. Seth Rollins eventually got to a place where we wanted to cheer for him. And at that time we did, and he was going through a very real thing that people could relate to. And it doesn't matter if that guy is technically speaking, a bad guy, he was going through a moment that people can relate to. And that gets missed in the conversation about this match and how good it is because people want to, for whatever reason, they want to stick to something of a narrative that I, I don't know that I really understand. Well, I mean, I would go as far as to say I think people continue still to this day to tie themselves in knots as to how they should be reacting to someone like Seth Rollins, but that's a story for another day, and Lord knows I could <laughs> rant volcanically about it in my own right. But um, I think it's worth saying on, on the point, though, in, in seriousness, that um, and I've explored Seth's character in a lot of depth over the years uh, because his arc has been such a uh, emotionally compelling experience for me to to uh, attach myself to, relate to, and experience as a fan. 
everything that he does, including his more morally dubious actions, even now, in fact, uh, is all rooted from a deeply felt passion for wrestling. So, um, you know, he's coming back from a layoff, which he's been where he's been denied his his favorite drug uh, for for so long. So there are going to be uh, flashes of humanity that you're not used to seeing from him as a result. So I think that, you know, just as as much as you might want to start coming up with micro-criticisms, you can come up with micro-defenses against them as well. Uh, and I dare w- would go so far as to venture that when you're getting that deep down a rabbit hole of a conversation, you're probably pulling at strings anyway. Uh, uh, pulling at straws anyway. So clutching Indeed. at straws anyway. I will get the metaphor eventually. <laughs> um, so, uh, yes... Now, one of the things I wanted to be sure to mention, um, and this really, really struck me when I was going back to rewatch it for this podcast, um, and not to keep banging on about it, one of the things that has driven me back from professional wrestling, away from it, is the habit of of, um, everyone doing everything all the time. I've spoken about this uh, at length on the pond and on here. I don't, I I guess you could call me a, a conservative or a traditionalist, perhaps. But I'm not a huge fan of super heavyweights doing stuff cruiserweights traditionally do. And I'm not a huge fan of vice versa as well, because I think in that kind of an environment, you can't have Andre being slammed by Hulk Hogan. And that's a big, big issue. Um, One of the things that I love about this is you don't get that. These two men wrestle a match uh, where they lean into the the exact style that they are rightly or wrongly known for and lean into the exact style that they suit. Um, it's quite conservative stylistically in the sense that Seth wrestles as the high-flying athlete, Roman wrestles as the overwhelming powerhouse, and who'd have thought it, it works amazingly well. Um, Indeed. Because that's... I mean, it's it can it just needs to be kept that simple, um, and and when you start overthinking stuff and over choreographing stuff, that's when I think that wrestling loses its magic and does just become two guys fighting, whereas here it feels like a genuine um, fight. And although there are a few moments where the the sort of the the cooperation becomes clearer than and more lucid than, than others, um, and there are a lot of long pauses that I think sometimes aren't necessarily the best. Generally speaking, these are these are minor, minor faults about a match that, um, and we used the term last week, we've already used the term this week, uh, is wrote with, uh, or wrote or comes from an old school mentality. Uh, and I think A, that you were talking about earlier, don't go some way to explain in the, the kind of the flinch against it, um, but also explains why I think this match is the kind of match that's going to age brilliantly, uh, where a lot of its more celebrated uh, contemporaries will age considerably more poorly, uh, precisely because they go for every everything by everyone all the time, or they go more is more, uh, or they go more hyperactive. Um, this is the kind of wrestling that stands the test of time, and as a result, is timeless. 100% agreed. Even the things that you can look at, like the over-choreographed moments, one in particular comes to mind where Seth's basically dancing all around yes, Roman in the beginning. Yeah, uh, is uh, you can explain it away because you know, you know, um, you know. I mean, obviously Roman's like watching him, and it's it's you watch him in that moment. He's watching him kind of do this and that and this and that, and you can all, you can almost see it written on his face. Like I know what you're gonna do, but I, you're too, you're too fast. I can't keep up with you. <laughs> Yeah. So it's it's uh it's it's one of those matches that when you watch it it uh it, and this is one of the best 
things about pro wrestling. It's one of those matches that when you watch it, you're going to pick up on something small that you might have missed the previous time. So you'll have to watch it like 15 times before you can fully digest every little nuance of it. And to me, um, you know, you're really a hot crowd away from this match being an unquestionable, can't miss, can't deny classic. Um, so in my opinion, and for those who, who don't enjoy it, I'd love, I want you to, I, I really, I implore you, go back and revisit it. And, and, and for those who just flat out don't get on board with it, then I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> um, I think, again, these half an hours fly by. I say it every week, but we're almost at the end of the show again. Um, one thing that I want to mention before we get out of here, though, because it would be criminal not to, is, of course, not just uh, the way the match ends. I love the finish of it, the pedigree counter to the spear, and then the fact that Rollins wins it, I think, is a massive boon for the match as well. Uh, but, of course then you get the cash-in after the fact, which is um, a moment that writes itself. I think that anybody who's watched wrestling since 2016 shouldn't need it explaining why that's such a big moment, Ambrose cashing in on Rollins, why it's such a poetic moment, moment of poetic justice. I love the simplicity of the cash-in. He just grabs Rollins, pulls him into a, DD to, into a Dirty Deeds, wins the championship. There's just a, a brutal simplicity to it uh, and it also means that Money in the Bank 2016 is the night when all three members of the Shield were World Heavyweight Champion and I think that that matters as well particularly knowing uh, of course that now we're sort of at the back end of uh, the Shield as a group with John Moxley having re-emerged elsewhere in professional wrestling um, but if as I've said on the show a couple of weeks ago the Shield for me is the last great thing to have happened in wrestling last as in final not last as in most recent and this seems to be uh the the peak moment even though there would be many great moments after it um this seems to be the peak moment of everything that they had striven for all three members of it world heavyweight champion on one night i mean that's special it is it speaks to the legacy of the shield and it speaks to the legacy of all three of those guys and it speaks to the legacy of this match that's one of the primary defenses i've always used for anybody who wanted to say that the match proper was not a classic well if you add in the dean ambrose cash in does that change your stance because that's part of the total presentation on that night and i think it's just one of those moments that will live forever in my mind as uh, perhaps the I don't know that I don't know that anything's really topped this for me since then um, in terms of what I personally felt toward it in terms of where my fandom was at in that moment and what it meant to my fandom in that moment. It's legacy for me is profound, even if it's always going to be a controversial pick for others. Yes, well, perhaps eventually opinion might might shift on, on that note. We can but hope as Seth and Roman continue to carve out their careers at the top of the company um, careers that I think on paper uh, from the perspective of their achievements, both uh, fictionally and critically, um, you know, are, are actually quite astounding when you get into the, the granular detail of it, but perhaps that's uh, a show for another time. Doc, we're at the end of, of your uh, second guest in here on SEID. So thank you for joining me these last two weeks before we head off. Is there anything that you want to plug um, before we, call it a day check out the books wrestlemania era book of sports entertainment greatest matches and rivalries of the wrestlemania era and check out the rest of the shows here on lop radio thank you for having me i enjoyed it my pleasure my thanks once again to doc for joining me and that's it 
Can you believe it? We're at the end of Sports Entertainment is Dead. This was, of course, the last ever episode of this podcast. So I'm not going to get into some long speech here just to say thank you if you have ever downloaded or listened or streamed a single episode of the show. I had dreams that it would go on for years, but obviously things change, the world changes, I change, wrestling changes, uh, and it's time to call it a day. By this point, by the time this show goes out, I will have posted my final column, so this is the very last word I will have as a member of the LOP writing and podcasting team, so thank you as well if you've ever read a single word of any of my columns, left a comment, given me feedback, uh, or even if you've just looked at them, it's all been hugely appreciated. LOP has been a huge part of my life for the last uh, 10 years and and more in fact um, and so uh, it, it 12 years just doing the maths in my head and so it's it's been a, a huge part of my life but the time has come to move on so uh, it's been a blast doing sports entertainment instead I hope it hasn't bored you I hope it hasn't frustrated you it's been a bit scrappy I know I'm not great at this thing but I hope you've enjoyed the content nonetheless especially since I revamped the show back in October it's been a joy to do since then certainly uh, thank you to all the guys who've been on as, as guests Mav, Docs, uh, Sam, Leaf, Ms. Fan, Primetime sorry if I've missed anyone there that's just off the top of my head uh, and be sure, after I've gone, to keep checking out all the great shows here on Lords of Pain Radio, including whichever show may land here on Wednesday nights. And be sure to continue to check out all of the great columnists that will continue to post on lordsofpain.net. I'm disappearing, but LOP is going nowhere, so your patronage continues to be greatly appreciated, I know, from first-hand experience by all those working behind the scenes at the site. So thank you again for listening. Thank you again for downloading this show. Uh, I hope that the future treats you all well. I am riding off into the sunset, so for one last time, stay safe and have a good one, folks. Thank you for listening.